Hey there, and welcome back from his talk. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Kyle Maxwell, a bootstrap philosopher, entrepreneur, and contemporary thinker. Kyle, welcome to From His Taught. Thank you, Michael, for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Awesome, awesome. So Kyle and I have had a few exchanges, like most people these days, across social media. And, uh, and so this is our kind of our first time sitting down together. Kyle, I mentioned that you kind of have this interesting background in terms of what you're doing now, but I was hoping you could kind of tell us what's your story leading up to what you're doing. Well, that's going to take me like three hours. So okay. I'm going to try to truncate that down as much as possible. Sure. So I originally came from the almost getting into the music industry. I had a record label, uh, Harder Music Entertainment. So you can kind of Google that on uh, internet if you want. It's even uh, the logo. Is okay. On me. So that you can tell us serious. I was about that. Mm-hmm. I was managing I was managing a music artist. I had one, two, three, four, five. I had like five people working with me at the at the time. I had like six artists. We were doing really doing it. And um we kind of just fell apart because uh especially in 2020, because I used to be uh I used to be woke. I was never a leftist, I was never a committed leftist. But I was I was woke, I was in that intermediary between being fiscally conservative and being ignorant to being like a, just a full on like blue hair leftist. I, I was in the middle. That's okay. what Marxism actually is. Is the uh, it's the waiting room. It's like <laughs> you're it's the batch. You're you're getting groomed by leftist ideology. That's what being woke. That's what being woke is. So I was in that group, but uh, I wasn't really about that life. So 2020, you know those BLM riots, all that stuff started. And um, I was I posted a black square. This this was like this was the the culmination of this whole entire thing. Mm-hmm. The next journey of my life after the music stuff collapsed after all that hip hop stuff was over. I'm not gonna get into that. That's gonna take me. That's gonna take. I I I'm gonna need like ten hours to explain, <laughs> to explain all that because it's gonna not make sense. Okay. So I'll just I'll I'll jump to this to this spot after 2020, after everything fell apart. And I, I posted, and so during the BLM riots and COVID and all that stuff, I posted a black square. Like, mm-hmm. one of those people who were, you know, promoting BLM stuff just in 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. So just to, for context, like, I was living that, I was living that woke life. I, I was, I was, I was in it. I was posting stuff. I was even, I was even, I, I was still making content at that point. Even my content was starting to get woke. I still have videos on Twitter of me talking about redlining and mm. racism. So you guys can go check that out. And it wasn't until I, you know, started discovering the, what do they call the D, the DDW, the, the dark the intellect, the IDW, the people, mm-hmm. intellectual dark web, you know, like Ben and Jordan and, and just seeing how, you know, Antifa and BLM were starting to just really starting to, act demonic something that that alerted something in in my soul I'm like this isn't this isn't right mm-hmm. you got to going up to innocent people just trying to enjoy a sandwich and you're like oh say black lives matter say say this say this or you're mm-hmm. racist or you're this or you're that what is that i thought this was I thought this was like a like i was so i was so naive i was so blown away by the fancy speeches and the in the uh in the movements and the, and the instagram posts and stuff i was so blown away but then on, when i would look on what was going on behind the scenes on, on the street? This is like a freaking, this is like a literally a leftist revolution. Hmm. 
So I seen that and I was like, eh, it's kind of weird. What is what is the, what is all this stuff anyway? Where are all this come from? So I started, you know, digging knowledge. I started reading. I never read a book in my whole entire life up until 2020. I never, never a reader up until like three years ago. And okay. now I have a, a whole freaking book. So that's funny how that works out. Right. So I'm like, I'm not, so that's why I'm saying that expert because I'm, I'm three years into this. So I don't want anyone thinking that like what I'm saying is like the freaking gospel because I could be wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. Socrates said he didn't know anything. So this one of the mm-hmm. smartest guys who ever existed said he was clueless. You know, like who who the hell are anyone anyone to promote themselves as some type of expert? But anyway, there you go. So I'm starting to untangle everything, and uh, and you know a year goes by, and you know I'm starting to change my content. I'm t- tweeting stuff. I'm like challenging the narrative. You know, uh, I don't know if you notice or not, but <laughs> when you, <laughs> I'm a particular darker hue. Than you and I was challenging the status quo, so you can imagine how that ended mm-hmm. up. And one day I was like, you know, I posted a black square last year, you know, and I really, I was really wrong about a lot of stuff. And if I can change, if I can change my my life around, my mind around. So can you. Mm. That tweet, I think now it has like two, I think two million people have seen that tweet. Oh wow! Completely wild went everywhere, mm-hmm. and. That just blew up on Twitter. It just literally, literally blew up. And ever since then, I've had videos, you know, re- more tweets. But I literally, it's a random tweet. I posted a black square last year. You know, I was I was indoctrinated by this stuff. It's a random tweet. Mm-hmm. And it just went completely crazy. And now here we are, you know, 13K on Twitter, which is just freaking crazy. And, well, here we are now. Yeah. So now I'm starting to really develop my, I didn't, and, and when all that was happening, mm-hmm. I promise I'll shut up in a, in a second. When all that was happening, I was presented with the temptation to become a a right wing conservative, like rigid thinker, mm-hmm. grifter type of person. Sure. And that is, you know, that, and you know, you're a freaking, I was like 21 at the time, 22 at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting all these, I'm getting all this attention. That lifestyle, what, presented itself very glamorous i was like oh shoot i really can be the next band i mean i've had people i've had potential business partners present me with you know he was like oh you could be the next band you could be the next matt washer you could be the next net the next this and next that you know have your talk show talk about politics day-to-day events and i could i would be so michael i'll be rich if i did that right now mm-hmm. a whole different better place like financially mm-hmm. socially better right now mm-hmm. if i was doing that because I, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do that, then by all means, you go through that life. But I had a conversation with a friend and she just, she completely, her name is Nicole Murphy. She has like a, she has a, a Instagram live show. You should, uh, I'll, I'll try to remember to send it to you after this. You know, we had a conversation. She was on my podcast and I was trying to tell her, I was like, yeah, you know, you, you got to beat people's head over the, you got to beat the truth over people's head and you know, yeah we gotta we gotta get those liberals and we gotta we gotta, we gotta force our beliefs on them mm-hmm. i crossed my hands like this and she was like well you're saying that you do shit and she presented she was like you know you're doing the same that thing they're doing right you're right. shut your beliefs down their throat and like that i was like holy crap like i'm a mm-hmm. hypocrite like when she said that i was like holy crap so then i had another self-reflection i'm like yeah I'm I'm becoming a I'm becoming one of those people that the left that the left imagine 
thinks that conservatives are like. I was mm. becoming parody of the right. Sure. Having a not having my not being open minded, mm-hmm. closed minded, and mm. conserving everything. Yeah. What's the telos of conservation? The same thing, the same telos as endless progressivism. <laughs> We're just gonna go out and progress, progress until we fall off a cliff. This it happens in the exact same reverse where we're just going to hold on to everything. We're going to get stagnant. Mm. We're going to conserve everything. Nothing changes. Right. Authoritative right. Same mm. thing. Yeah. You have to be aware of those two planes. So I was thankful I had that interaction as well. So I saw it's so crazy. I got saved from being a, a wacky blue haired leftist. And then and a year later, I got saved from becoming, you know, somebody who uh, like a Bible thumping, like authoritarian. So mm-hmm. that was get, it was getting to that point. Like all every tweet was about politics. Like every mm-hmm. single tweet, you go look at it. So I got saved from both things. So now I'm like in this weird middle spot with all these people who like read or are smart <laughs> and they're talking about like foundational theories and people and, and people and like people without history and mm-hmm. it's, it's this middle spot. And I think this is the most comfortable. I've been in and when I got to this spot, I was like, yeah, I belong right here in the middle. Mm. I think this is where the medium exists because both sides are trying to, to use a pun here for the show. Both when you get the extreme sides are trying to derive the Mm. offering is right. The left, the left side is saying, okay, well, here's our, here's our dogma. And this, this, this is what the world presents itself as. So, Therefore, we must do X. And they were on the opposite side. They're saying, oh, well, our book says, this book that was written a thousand years ago says this. So therefore, we should all respect it and abide by it. If you if you look at it simply like that, both sides are trying to, mm-hmm. to extract that off from the is. And I think the answer is to, number one, reject that temptation to just hop from the sense data to what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. But I think the answer is what we already know. The answer is, hey, well, what do you think? Well, I think this. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Well, I think this. It that is the answer. This, the 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 interaction, mm-hmm. the dialogue between the both hemispheres. That is where that that is what the answer is. The answer is not a proposition. Mm-hmm. The answer is something you participate in. Is yeah. that what the dialogue said? That is what the answer is. Mm-hmm. When I discovered that, I was like, "Holy crap! That's what we should be doing." <laughs> it's not about being right. It's about what should be at the highest place. Mm-hmm. Who, who the hell? What the hell do I know about that? If it was that so self-evident, what should be highest? There are grown adults. Who are running the government right now? Mm-hmm. You know, if it was just so damn easy to know what was most valuable and what we ought to do, mm-hmm. okay, well, well, why are kids killing themselves? Why are we ripping the penises off of kids? Why are we sending billions of dollars to some country in in freaking like Euro Asia? Like, what are we doing? Why? Why? If everything was so self evident, why is everything? on the verge of potentially falling apart if what ought to be is so self-evident from what is. Mm-hmm. So the, obviously there's some sort of thing that we're not getting right on both sides. 
Mm-hmm. So how do you decipher what we should do? It's through on it's through that dialogue, it's through the speech. Mm-hmm. Now it just so happens that one side thinks that there is no such thing as that common dialogue. And the other side thinks that the only and, and, and the other side has to reject, has to not fall temptation to the side to the idea that what is true is what we decide on because that's what a democracy is. Mm-hmm. That's the that and that's what that's a that's a very good critique, a Muslim critique, actually. It is a Islam critique of democracy. Of okay, well, we all just say this is right. Does that that indicate that that's, that should be right? So mm-hmm. you're, you're playing with fire no matter what. You had to set a democracy, and this is all we all, all we agree on. Well, this is all what we agree on. Well, okay, well, 60 years ago, we all agreed that I was three-fifths of a human being. So it's like you're you're on a slippery slope there with democracy. Right. Now, if you jump to authoritarianism or a totalitarian state, well, obviously we all know the, the slippery slope there. So the I think the answer is always in the middle. Charge mm. rambling there, but um, no, you're fine. I think, I think the answer is is in is in the middle. It's through podcasts like this, where we can talk and have discussion. So I think what I'm doing with my content, I think I hope that's what I'm doing is I'm really trying to start the conversation because that is that's the only way. Mm-hmm. It's the only way. Okay, so let's see. Tell me if this is a a fair rough summary. You kind of started out in music slash entertainment. You had a, a left-leaning persuasion that I'm sure was yeah. intrinsically motivated by, for all the right reasons, right? You weren't, this wasn't some Herbert Marcu- Marcuse thing that you had imbibed and you were being very cynical. You had very good intentions, no doubt, but you saw things manifest in the real world that said something like, if the ideology that I'm espousing is good, moral, and just, then this would not be manifesting in the world by my fellow travelers. So you yeah. you stumbled into the IDW. For those who don't know, it's a classically liberal to mildly conservative, but social justice skeptical group of thinkers from very diverse cultural and philosophical backgrounds. That kind of shapes how you think in terms of reasoning through problems, as well as the mechanism of reason as played out between dyadic conversations and conversations at, at a societal level. And what I took away at the end, there was something like, neither side has exclusive exclusively has all the right answers and that the mechanism by which we find the right answers is what needs to be preserved even though in the modern age it seems as though there's a intellectual strain on let's say the left that says that that mechanism is just tyrannical and oppressive and there's a tendency on the right to say okay fine well if we're if it's just all will to power then we're going to play to win and you're saying we need to reject both of those forces is that a fair they said, yep. Okay. Okay. Um, so we'll circle back to a few of the politics things, but, but the main thing I found interesting about you is that one, as, as you mentioned, you're very young to be doing this. Uh, I think there's, you know, almost probably about an eight year age difference between the two of us. 25 next month. Awesome. Well, happy early birthday. Yeah. Half of 50. That's right. <laughs> um, but I mean, you're, you know, you're pounding out this content and, and so for people who are, who are listening now, you know, if you, if you take issue with some of the political stuff, hang around and we're going to see if we can get to the philosophical aspects of why Kyle Rivalry did. And we'll do what Kyle just advocated. We're going to try and stress test these ideas. Um, I want to touch on something that you had put out recently. You have a lecture series that's available on YouTube. And we'll be sure to link to this in the episode artifact. 
um, called Well-Rounded Fool. It's on YouTube. And so I was hoping you could speak a little bit about that. And in particular, could you talk about your critique of what you call, I think, scientific empiricism, what some people might be called scientific materialism? Could you could you speak on that? So <clears throat> I've had this idea of the well-rounded fool for about, I want to say, six or seven years. And the way it started out to the way it is now, or like it, it changed throughout throughout the years. But I always had this idea before I knew anything, before I was even educated or half half educated, or whatever. I had this idea when I was in high school. I was like, there's there's something that's common amongst there, there's a there's a certain spirit, there's a certain character that I see many people inhabit across my life. I, I was always that was always that weird kid that was like always analyzing like other people and their actions. You know, I was trying to think about, I'm always curious about what someone's motivations are. This is how I was. I don't think there's anything, anything paranoid about things, just the way I was. I'm always interested. I want to know why you thought that. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that thing? I'm, high, I'm very high in openness and creativity. I took a personality test. First percentile in orderliness. So, so the most disorganized person, I'm more, I'm more disorganized than them. <laughs> right. But the openness and the creativity kind of overcompensated for that. But anyway. So I'm, I was always, or, I was always focused on, I was always interested in why someone did that certain thing. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's a pattern recognition. So I'm trying to draw patterns here. So I'm like, okay, so that person did act that way in that particular instance, and then they, and I see another person do that. Mm-hmm. Those two people don't have anything in common, and they don't have any, like they're not in cahoots with each other. Oh, not. So mm-hmm. why do they do that? And I, this certain attitude came up. And particularly at, like at work or in school or even in the family, before somebody does something that they know they shouldn't have done, or I've seen someone acting in a way that was very deceptive, I've seen someone or, or viewing someone try to make themselves believe something or, or just seeing someone just being deceptive. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that, that was always a prime interest of mine. I have no idea why. I can't answer that question, mm-hmm. but I was always just, I think I was, I think as a, it's almost like an instinct of mine to know, can we, are we allowed to cuss on here? Go for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like, I, I know I have a bullshit meter of like, mm. I just know when someone is, and my best friend's like this too, mm-hmm. we, we have jokes all the time. We know, we just know when someone is just full of crap mm-hmm. and maybe that's like from, you know, just. I mean, experience, I've been, like like I said, I was in the music industry. I mean, <laughs> they aren't particularly known for their for their integrity. Let's just sure. say that. Fair enough. I just know when someone is just, like, you, you, you soulless, like, just scumbag. I just know when someone is doing that. And I've always been hyper aware of it when I was doing it. Mm. That's where it derived from. Mm-hmm. Because I knew in certain situations, I was like, did I really like just I say that that certain way? So I knew that that person had that reaction. So they could say this like that. Mm. Like, why'd I do that? What is that? Right. And as this idea, so that was idea was in the back of my head. It started to develop. And I, I got to this, I got to this point where I was like, there is a gaping difference between knowledge and wisdom. Mm. We all know that person who just happens to just know a whole bunch of stuff. I know when I know the year. I know about the year this war happened. Mm-hmm. I know how many sisters this president had. I know uh, this particular math. I'm a wizard in this in chess. I just know stuff. You know that person who just knows a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
but then if you judge them on their ethics, they are a jerk. Mm-hmm. They're a horrible human. They're, they're just not the best person. They're mm-hmm. rude or mean. They're condescending. They possess those dark triad traits. They, they're trying to instrumentally move themselves throughout the world. There's a gaping difference between, and I, I, th- I believe that there's, there's probably strong data on this, but I, don't th- I believe there's zero correlation between knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. There has to be some type of intermediary that connects to both mm-hmm. because that's what the art is. The is what art facts. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a human being. That's a tree. Science exists. You're a man. That's a, that's a microphone, laptop, two plus two equals four. These are facts. And then there's wisdom. You ought not to push a baby off of a cliff because the baby is, is something that it, it is a vulnerable human being and it cannot defend itself. So you ought not to act that way. I ought not to slam the door if someone's walking behind me. I ought not to slam the door and I persuade you because I'm going to harm them. I ought to open the door for a woman walking behind me. Like, these are things that we just ought to do. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no, there, there's a space there. Mm-hmm. And what the well-rounded fool is, is a person who mistakes his knowledge for the wisdom. I'm mistaking my ability to acquire facts, to acquire information, to acquire these things, to acquire my perception. I'm mistaking my my talent, my ability to do those things mm-hmm. for my wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's, an over, it's an overcompensation. You have these knowledge, you have these facts, but you don't, you have not acquired the character you've not acquired the virtues mm-hmm. to properly disseminate which facts should be at the top which facts should be at the bottom mm-hmm. there's no high, there's no hierarchy in your knowledge so you're so by definition you are a you are a polygamous nightmare of random facts and knowledge mm-hmm. so the raw around the is it's a book it's going to be a book but it, it is a long, it is a series of investigating throughout history, throughout philosophy, throughout psychology, many different disciplines. When somebody or mm-hmm. some phenomena expressed that archetype of a well-rounded fool, mm. some of the examples I use, I mean, I biblical, I make theological arguments, I'm making, like I said, it's multi- multidisciplinary. One of the arguments I use, and when this is another video I posted on, I don't know if you're on Instagram, I think it has like, 14,000 views, I think, mm-hmm. on reels. I was um, interested in the story of um, Adam and Eve and the satanic spirit of all. Like, the, the, the Satan, can, like he, he is, he literally is that which has knowledge outside of a moral framework. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's how I've categorized the spirit of evil, the acquisition of knowledge outside of a moral framework. So if you look at that story and, you know, why was the, and maybe this is not like the canonical like reason. This is just my interpretation of sure. it. Why was the tree of knowledge? Why was that concealed? Why was mm. the tree of knowledge something that Adam and Eve ought not to step near or receive something from? Mm-hmm. And um, Carl Jung and Eric Norman. Eric Norman was a student of uh, Carl Jung. He wrote this really great book called The History and Origins of Consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really great book. And in the beginning, Eric Neumann was talking about the moral underpinnings behind actions. And in and, and Jung and you know, he's you know, people are there's always critics of Jung, they're saying like he's like a crazy, like cuckoo, like mystic guy, and maybe mm-hmm. he was. But you can't we should be able to, like you said, separate the wheat from the chaff. What's what's some what's some interesting things he said? Right. And by far he has more interesting things to say. So I don't care if he, if he, if he, 
you know, went on in his later works and started talking about like, you know, his synchronicity. Some of that stuff is legit, you know, like some of it is, some of it isn't. But one of the main things that one of the interesting things that Eric Norman said was he was talking about the concept of eating. Mm-hmm. Like we eat in groups. Like prehistorically, we used to eat and eating itself is a, he said it, it is, it is a religious action of eating because mm-hmm. to, to eat something is to, is to value it. You're trying to, you value yourself. You're trying to insert something that you see into yourself so that it can become a part of you. You're trying to, you're trying, you're trying to preserve yourself because you believe that you are an entity worth existing. Like that is literally why we eat. Now there's also a, a deeply uncontrolled biological reason why we eat because we obviously can't function if we can't eat. But what happens when you haven't eaten in a while? What could, what's the only thing you think about? The only thing you think about is eating. What happens if you're very, very thirsty? Mm-hmm. That becomes the that becomes the reason why you exist. So it's so is a push and a tug. What we lack, what we lack, what we extremely lack becomes our God. Mm-hmm. And what we what we chase after, what what we center everything out what we focus our attention on for that particular moment just like those deep deeper biological motivations like hunger or thirst or those sexual or sexual desires every every seek out something that momentarily becomes our god mm-hmm. so that's what eric norman was saying what guides our attention for that specific moment that in a specific way becomes that that becomes your highest value in that moment mm-hmm. so keep that in mind so what did that fruit represent? When that snake said, you shall eat from this fruit and ye shall be gods, mm-hmm. that came up again. Why was ye shall be gods? Why is God in eating something? Why? What, what is up with that connection there? Mm-hmm. There is there's something you're directing, you're orienting your, your perception towards this object so you can eat it, so you can gain what? Ye shall be gods. And this is a tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't the tree of facts? Why wasn't the tree of truth? Why wasn't the tree of power? Why wasn't the tree of prosperity? Why wasn't the tree of sexual desires? It was a tree of knowledge. Knowledge. Mm-hmm. So the word knowledge comes from that Greek word gnosis. Gnosis is literally to know. That I believe the Garden of Eden was the first eradication of narcissism that was literally the first thing that happened that mental masturbation of relativity and all and 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 that the whole entire gnostic mythology that was the first thing that was casted out and right from the beginning because that gnostic way of that gnostic that narcissism with the capital g that is the acquisition of knowledge outside of a moral framework because Mm -hmm. god said don't eat that fruit from that tree Mm-hmm. And the serpent told them, well, if you did, if you did know that, you could acquire this superpower. So what is happening to our culture right now? When we acquire information, so when we want to know something, what are the motivations behind that? What do you want to know? If I'm asking you, okay, well, okay, well, you want to get my podcast? Why? So we can talk or so I can make you look like the inferior one. And so I can get a whole bunch of followers so I can promote myself. It works, mm-hmm. it, it abstracts in, in the particular in the particular instances, but it all derives from that root of 
my perception is being guided towards something. What is the motivation? The motivation was to be a God. The motivation was to be better than what has created me. And that was casted out mm. right from the beginning. The well-rounded fool is the person who acquires information, who acquires actions, who acquires people, who talks to people, who asks questions. Mm-hmm. That's another big one. Someone who asks questions outside of the moral framework. You know how devious that is? To ask somebody a specific question in a twisted, contorted way so you can make them answer it in a way that only pursues what you wanted. You know how twisted that is? That archetype itself, the person who does, who who, in, who embodies that, that is what the well-rounded fool is. And I, maybe I sound like a schizophrenic right now, but... <laughs> It makes sense in my in my head. This that is what I'm hyper focused on, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to explore how many other instances how has that occurred mm-hmm. when someone was acquiring that information outside of a moral framework to pursue their own wants to pursue their own goods, mm-hmm. and that's happened. I mean, it's happening. It's literally happening right now. the The acquisition of knowledge is what leads to scientism. This is what leads to hyper scientific. And this is what leads to the next question. Okay, so we can, we can, so here's what's going to happen if we implement this specific policy, this specific rule, and it's going to hypothetically help X, Y, and Z. So therefore, we're going to do it. Or this new uh, assisted suicide thing that's coming up in culture today. Well, all these people want to die. So we're going to implement a system that's going to help these people do what they want to do which is to not exist anymore. It's like, okay, well, that on a surface level, if you look at it objectively, there are people who want something, mm-hmm. there are people who are in charge, who can facilitate these people wanting something, and then they're going to die. Is that not the acquisition of knowledge outside of a moral framework? So you can see that these things, and at the most fundamental level, it literally exists in every single situation. These are obviously there's there's more drastic situations like assisted suicide, but even in the minute situation, mm-hmm. you walking behind somebody and they drop their wallet. What are you gonna do? So the knowledge is what well, I've seen. I empirically witnessed someone drop their object, and I was on the ground, and they continued walking. Then you know there's no one else around. You know something. What is it that you know? I know that someone dropped their wallet. So what are you gonna do? Are you going to tell them? Are you going to say, hey, man, you just dropped a lot? Or are you going to take it for your own, for your own gain? Hmm. It happens in the the, literally the micro situations. The well-rounded fool is someone who acquires information, their perception, guides their perception towards something outside of being more a framework. Hmm. The the well-rounded fool separates their knowledge from their morality. So they have a dualistic model, an ethos that they live by. That's how they're able to value what they want to value, believe what they want to believe, yet espouse something completely different. Sure. They're separated. They have two different gods. They are worshiping two different gods. Mm-hmm. That's another commandment. It all ties back to the, to the beginning. Mm-hmm. That is what this whole entire lecture series is, is centered on and to understand how we can 
reject that temptation to acquire the knowledge outside of the moral framework. I'm sorry if that sounded like. I don't insane. know. No, you. Well, first, I would say that I'm asking you to condense the lecture series into you know a 10 minute response. So that's a tall ask. So for people who are interested in more, go listen to the lecture series. But I want to dig a little deeper on a couple of different aspects there. So there's, there's this notion from Hume that has inspired the name of this podcast from his to ought that we've yeah. touched on several times here. And you've talked about it from the perspective of acquiring knowledge, as in, if I understand correctly, acquiring a series of material facts about the world. Yep. Okay. And also, also even in, in the abstract. So okay. thinking about something that could exist. Say more. So I posted this uh, video yesterday. Mm -hmm. I think that evil exists. I don't think that evil is a material phenomenon. I think it's something that exists in the metaphysical world. It's something that mm -hmm. exists in the culmination of it. Because if you have to think about it, it's like, okay, well, the, you know, Hitler didn't just wake up one day and just create Auschwitz and just toss those people in there. Like, it had to come from somewhere. Where did it come from? Mm. You want to draw it back to the Enabling Act when he disabled the Constitution of, of Germany? You want to tie it back to there, or you want to? I mean, is is it that? Is it that when on the piece of paper when they when they for, when they stalled the Constitution for the rights of those people so that it's that? The fun is that the foundation, right. or was it when he was in prison and he was writing Mind Kampf when he was expressing his when he was expressing his hatred mm -hmm. towards that towards the Jewish people when he was expressing his hatred he said verbatim if he was in charge you know he was uh, he was a general in the First World War he said if he was in charge of it if he was in charge of it all it mm -hmm. would have it would have been better Germany would have prevailed he said that. You know, narcissistic that is to say that. If I was right. in charge, all oh, this would be better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. That is like that is like the archetype of a politician, by the way. <laughs> so that's well, what a politician has to think that. If I'm in charge, everything's gonna be better. Mm -hmm. That that is that is the ethos you're acting out. So it's in. So I think the evil exists in the world around the fool exists in the abstract, and mm. it exists in the. You see, he wrote it down. It was a dream. It was a fantasy he had. Mm -hmm. His Lebensraum, that's a German word for the living space. He, he viewed Germany as his living space. He was romantic about Germany. It started in the, in the gospel. It started from, he was an apostle for, for hatred and evil. Mm. And he, and he was, he was, a, he was a prophet and he prop, he prophesied what he was going to do. And he did it. And he got his men to do that. He got his men to fulfill it. Right. You know, he wasn't out there digging the ditches. No, right. He got his he got his followers to go out there and in to engage in his Gnostic mm. fantasy. I think that is where the evil exists in the culmination. Okay. So, so that was a, that was just that, that was just a little comment on the abstract. So I think sure. evil exists also in the in the in the abstract. So it, I agree. I think that evil can. It, exists as an abstract idea and it can and that abstract idea can be materialized in the world in a way that's evil too yeah but if if you're just reading let's say a chemistry book yeah to try and put the counterfactual to you if you're reading a chemistry book outside of a moral framework you just say 
I'm going to learn more about chemistry. Do you have a value judgment on that act of reading the chemistry book? Yes. What is it? Because you could be also reading a cookbook. Okay. Agreed. So, okay. So you're saying that you value the chemistry, the opportunity cost of your time is such that you're valuing the chemistry book as the highest return on investment of that use of time. Yeah. Of, of that particular moment. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have a moral value judgment? You, Kyle, have a moral value judgment on me, Michael, reading a chemistry book, even if I can't articulate why I'm doing it. It eh, seems like the best use of my time. Do I, have, do I have a moral judgment on why you're doing that? Yeah. Do you have a moral assessment on it? Because one of the critiques you had of this yeah. idea of going from is to ought is that you can't, you should avoid being the well-rounded fool, if I understand this correctly, because you don't want to just right. pursue a series of facts about the world or ideas in the abstract detached from a moral framework. Yes. And it, I can see where that makes perfect. For example, Marxism is a great example of where that goes terribly <laughs> that wrong. Is what it's called. Yes, yes. But I, for something more trivial, like someone reading a chemistry book, right? I mean, it's hard to make the case that they're doing anything with moral valence. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but they are certainly pursuing knowledge of a type or information of a type no well i think well here's the thing okay so let's let's trace let's trace it back we we'll answer your question i promise i'm not dancing sure go ahead so i'm a i'm a an admirer of our car young okay one of the things that i think he was right about was his was his comments on how the scientific thing even came about and what science what, what scientists are are doing hmm. like what, what are they actually doing so we like to think of certain acts like scientists like or like me reading a, a chemistry book or or me doing a, a math equation sure like we like to think of those things as some separate like those those are those are our golden calves if you want to like for, mm -hmm. for instance and some one of the things that he said was that what that what what essentially at the root what the scientist is doing is he is transforming he, he is transforming the matter mm -hmm. the, the the physical reality he is taking these he's taking those materials and he is studying them so yeah so before he studies those materials he first has to value those materials mm -hmm. before he values those materials he first has to value himself because he believes that he is a person who is capable of making a correct value judgment on what he sees, despite if it's chemistry, despite if it's molecules, despite if it's a, a whatever. Sure. He has to, you have to believe that in yourself, that you are someone who is capable of, of, of following the scientific method. Mm -hmm. If you want to follow the scientific method, you believe, you believe, and so say if some phenomena occurs and you're the person who has to, has to record what's going on, the scientific method presupposes that the witness is a truthful person because hmm. why can't you just write down something that didn't happen? True. You're writing down what you've seen. Mm -hmm. Now you want to write down what you've seen because perhaps maybe you value the scientific method. Right. And you're, you're following that medical, I know it's kind of different, but you're following that medical ethos. Thou should do not harm. What is harm? Harm is something bad. What is something bad? Something being bad is the opposite of something being good. That's a value judgment. The root of that whole entire domain is something that's rooted in an ethical domain.
So you're someone who values. So for someone, for you to even have that, for that chemistry book, for you reading that thing is the wrong question. I want to know why that chemistry book exists. Mm-hmm. I want to know why chemistry even existed. It started from people. It wasn't, Carl Jung said it was an alchemical transformation. People who, who, who understood that they could take these materials, transform them into something worse. Why would I transform it into something worse? Why would I study this book if it's not if if we're good? Why was if studying chemistry made me a, a, a made life worse? Why would I do it? No, because if you study chemistry, you can learn how these molecules act. Uh, you can learn how these molecules interact. If we learn how these molecules interact, we possibly in one day could stop this one this this one pathogen from occurring. Who knows? I'm not a chemistry expert. So I'm just I'm just talking out of my sure. head. Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And if you ask, like, really, like, I've watched debates a lot. If you ask the scientists, okay, well, why? Why? If you ask the scientists why, period, mm-hmm. they won't be a happy camper because they're not interested in why. They're interested in what? They want to see. They want to know. They're interested in what occurred. So my moral judgment on the person just, you know, just reading a, a chemistry book, I mean, you, know, you, can read the, you can read a chemistry book if you want. But what, what really matters is why that person, mm. why that, that person needs to know mm-hmm. why they are reading that chemistry book. That's a good point. We like to think, you know, sometimes we just do things that are not morally motivated. Mm-hmm. But I would argue, and uh, something that John Brebeke has centered his entire work around, I don't know if you are, are you familiar with John Brebeke. I am not. He's a, uh, he's a professor, assistant professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. He's a really, really smart human being. I, he, he was on my podcast in uh, September. Okay. He, uh, he was also on Jordan's, uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast, and he's actually lecturing on uh, Jordan's um, Peterson Academy, one of his, uh, his online things, so that's pretty cool. John Rebecca is a really, really smart guy. I highly recommend you look at his stuff. So he, he, he's, he's centered his whole work around this idea of relevance realization that sounds really oh what's that it sounds very you know fancy what is that mm-hmm. so his fundamental question is similar to mine you know a lot of the stuff i do is inspired by him mm-hmm. what is guiding michael's attention what is guiding that right. so there's infinite amount of things that we could be paying attention you could be talking you could be watching the sports you could be watching you know the game you could be watching something else you should be watching who knows but mm-hmm. there's something we're doing one thing right now Right. Why are we doing just one thing? Mm-hmm. So the thesis is, you know, there's a billion things that we could be doing, but we we center in on one thing. Mm-hmm. And now this is not just a whole bunch of like intellectual like gobbledygook or anything. Mm-hmm. It's actually centered in like actual cognitive science. Because yeah. if you look at the amount of the amount of the amount of neural fire firings that can go off in our brain, I think is about like ten thousand to the I think it's like ten thousand to like the ten thousandth power. That's some crazy number. It's plenty. <laughs> potential, yeah, the potential fires that can occur in our brain. Mm-hmm. That number is smaller than the potential actions mm-hmm. that someone can that someone can partake in. Mm-hmm. So there is a so we have less so in a, on a neurological level mm-hmm. we have less ability to acquire information than things that we can actually do, mm-hmm. even on that level. So you have to ask yourself, why, why is it that I'm doing this one thing and not the other? Well, one answer is because you really because you, you just physically can't do it. Well, on the other on the other on the other side is wait maybe I'm what it, what what I'm my actions are guided towards what I value the most. Mm-hmm. 
why am I, we like to think that, you know, what is this, this is a cigarette? You know, I'm just smoking a cigarette. I was like, yeah, yeah, yes. In the most empirical analysis possible, yes, you are smoking that cigarette. But why are you smoking that cigarette? Oh, because mm-hmm. I, because I, I wanted one. Mm-hmm. Why do you want that cigarette? It was because, you know, I started smoking when I was 10, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why did you start smoking when you were 10? Mm-hmm. Because I hung around this guy. Well, why did you hang around that guy? Mm-hmm. It's because he made me feel like I mattered. Why did that guy make you feel like you mattered? Mm-hmm. Oh, because my, ah, uh, because I didn't have parents. I was an orphan. Why were you an orphan? Because you're, it, 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 go, it, go, it starts all the way back to that point of childhood trauma, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And we, we like to think that we can just do things and you know, there's no other deeper motivations behind it. Mm-hmm. We like to abstract and say this is just a thing in and of itself, but what it what the real answer it, it traces all the way back. Carl Jung said, "If you show me a sane man, and I will cure him." <laughs> so you like to think that you're well, I'm just just doing this thing. That means something's wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something, and you're just so confident in it that there's just nothing wrong. Show me a sane man, and I would, obviously that's like, like a, that's like a he's being tongue in cheek about it. But right. I think what he was saying was, if you if you're just if you're if you're just too comfortable mm-hmm. and you're not worried about how this could be potentially harming me, then that means there's actually something wrong. You should always be even on even reading a chemistry book. I'm reading this chemistry book because I want to be a good chemist. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I'm not just reading this chemistry book so I can take a picture of it. So I can post it on my Instagram story and make it look like I'm a smart person. So then I can get that other girl who's in my chemistry class to ask me out on a date. Mm-hmm. No, I'm reading this chemistry book because I actually value what's in this book. Yeah. Everything down to even reading a book is a value judgment. Mm-hmm. Now, hyper-focusing on this has the potential to make you kind of weird. <laughs> I think it's important because that moral judgment staring down on just the mere objective reality is is that is what that is that is what religion has always done forever mm-hmm. look at you guys you guys are out here what do street preachers do I, I've, I've been watching a lot of street preacher pride parades and um not street preacher pride parades i've allowed watching a lot of videos of preachers preaching at pride parades okay and and, and the people who are in these parades <clears throat> if you look at these if you kind of deconstruct it the people who are, you know, take away, you know, whatever LGBT, take away all that stuff. Sure. There is a group of people who truly believe that they're just doing something mm-hmm. for its own sake and they're not harming anyone. Mm-hmm. And then there is a one single figure that is taking their symbol, could be a flag, could be a, a, a pronoun, could be a, a, could be a book. He's taking their symbol. He's rising it to the highest point of abstraction. And that symbol is reflecting on them. And they're saying, oh, no, we're we're, we're just out here in this parade. We're not doing anything wrong. He's making a value judgment because these people who are, they they are being worldly. They're they're losing themselves in the world. That's what what the Christians have always been saying. Don't stop being worldly. Don't be of this world. There is a higher judgment. There is no higher judgment when when you're in collective groups like that. When you're a collective group, you're you're you are no longer Michael in that group. You are a agent of this group. Mm-hmm. There is no leader. 
I mean, literally, it's in their socialist doctrine. There is no that their their doctrines are set up for there to be no leaders. Sure, so if there's a leader out there. He raises a, a value judgment. How's that going to make everyone feel? He's casting judgment on them mm-hmm. because they are they are they are caught up in the action. Mm-hmm. They have removed. They 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 have this dualistic. Um, they have this dualistic ethos. They, they they are holding one thing to be true and mm-hmm. proving another. And they're, they 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 are separated. Mm-hmm. They're separated. He's making making that known that even I don't care if it's a parade, I don't care if it's a book, I don't care if you've been just drinking a soda. Mm-hmm. Every single action is a value judgment. There is no thing that exists outside of me outside of a moral judgment. And I truly, I truly believe that. So I think that's a fairly, I don't mean this is a pejorative. I mean, this is a descriptive. I think that's a pretty extreme belief. For example, if you sampled the population, I don't think many would believe that. But I think many of the people that you read and whose um, ideas you're articulating in the modern age do subscribe to that, or they tend to more than they they would not, the union aspect. Um, So I want to drill down a little bit more on some of that. One thing I wanted to touch on was I have this thing. Well, you said scientists aren't interested in why they're interested in what. I think that there's a couple of things here. One, th- there is a, a material difference between the natural sciences and the social sciences in terms of yeah. the orientation that they take, obviously. Um, so let's confine our, because I think for the natural sciences, for example, you could still make moral judgments about, for example, exploring nuclear energy. I think yeah. that's totally fine. But you're, most likely what you're going to be doing there is you're going to be making some sort of consequentialist argument. But the the social science case, I think, is very clear that there are people in many different ideological camps, some camps that disagree with each other immensely, um, that would say, we're interested in Y in terms of the theory, right? We have some theory and we say X causes Y, letter Y, not the word Y. So X causes Y. Why does that happen? And that is our theory. So they would say we're interested in why for that reason. But you're saying something more philosophically oriented, which is like, no, no, no. What is orienting you to that particular problem? Why are you focused on that? And that's a different analysis that would need to be done. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Great. I love it. <laughs> okay. So the, the social justice left, and again, I mean that descriptively. I don't mean that pejoratively. The social justice left would say something like, um, there are certain uh, strands of science that have a very dark history, and they have a point there. Yeah. Um, and you material scientists in the liberal Western world, you want to say that um, we can explore any ideas as long as those ideas don't cause direct harm in the world. We're saying that your exploration of those ideas cause harm. Therefore, you shouldn't study those questions. It sounds to me like you would agree with them. You may not agree on what those questions are, but you would agree that that's a an appropriate analysis to take. So you're saying is it, so you're saying like a more radical person on the left on the left scientific realm would say they would they would heavily object to like something like uh, conversion therapy because that's something that is immoral. Mm-hmm. And, and, that. Yeah, and someone on the right would would object. Uh, who's even in the practice of science would object to so-called gender affirming care right yeah so 
and and my understanding is that you're saying something roughly like we need to be considered in what we're exploring. We don't want to just explore because we can't explore. Yeah. The, the Ian Malcolm line, you were so busy thinking whether or not you could do something, you didn't stop to think whether or not you should. That's great. Um, is that is that your belief system or are you more of the classically liberal persuasion, which is like science is an open, fair game as long as we're not causing any direct harm in the direct application of science? So I like the question, but I think I think the question is part of the deeper problem. OK, I don't think that the, the I don't think the proper level of analysis is well, what should we do about this whole science thing? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't I don't think that science exists like in its in its own thing. I just see mm-hmm. I see people doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I know that's a, that's a very broad way of looking at this. That's that's actually a, you know uh, do you know Zabur Zizak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said there's a one video. He said, I mean, it's really profound. It's kind of funny, you know. He's like he's a character, but he yeah. said you know things happen. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, things do happen, mm-hmm. and I'm like, so like, yeah, so that, so yes, things happen, and I was like, wait, he was actually kind of, he said to kind of write, mm-hmm. things happen, people do stuff, mm-hmm. people say things, people make noises, mm-hmm. and you can, you know, add the labels and you know make this make it seem like this is some like special thing in and of itself. One of the people who really influenced me to start thinking this way was. I hate to say his name against Carl Jung. He said science is another theory. Mm-hmm. What do we do before we had that rigorous scientific method? What do we do before that? What was your level of proof before we had that stringent scientific method of something being true? Mm-hmm. What was the standard of something being real? Something. What was the standard of something existing? Mm-hmm. Well, before it was, I mean, it obviously went by the senses, but before it was something that was inculcated in, in a value system. Mm-hmm. Something I talked about in the first episode. This is um, this is Aristotle's uh, Intellecti. So this was something that something I'm very interested in. He is a combination of the two words. It's the telos. That's the that's the uh, the telecki part. And the and the intel. So it's the intellect plus. So so it's the intellect. It's the intellect plus the plus the the end. Mm-hmm. Intellect plus it's it's what what is this divine purpose? Mm. And he used the, one of the examples he used was the seed, was the uh, the seed of the oak tree. Mm. We can just say so. We're scientists. We're saying that's a that's a that's a oak tree seed. But what he was saying was no, that that's that's the wrong level of analysis. We can say that's an oak tree seed, but if we put that in the ground and we water it and we take care of it and we come back a couple of years later, that thing's gonna be a gigantic. That's gonna be a gigantic object. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a so he viewed thing as so he didn't think that that was a tree that's an oak he looked at the oak tree in in its telos as the same thing hmm. I, to aristotle that was the same thing this telos was, was what was most important okay. not it's not the actual object and that's how i view and that's how Carl Jung viewed and that's how i think well how a, a better way to view things we can apply the same thing to science so I don't, i'm not looking at science as a thing i'm looking at it as a as a as as a as a narrative something the post is actually have right there there are there are narratives there's a narrative structure that we that we adapt ourselves to it's things are things are narratives 
Some mm-hmm. looking at science as the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Now, where they went wrong is that obviously the whole power stuff and all the whole, the whole, and, and making something like a self-preservation of what you what you want. That obviously that prescription was wrong. But things in themselves are sort of like narratives. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at every scientist differently, every science differently, every single thing that happens. The, the science is not just like just one thing that just happens. With what there's there's different forms, different all all different types of flavors of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not looking at like science as a whole entire whole. So even when I say like science, I, I'm trying to be more specific. Like I said, like rigid scientific thinkers who mm-hmm. who like objectively or who will literally who will, will object against you know any metaphysical argument. They don't want to hear mm-hmm. anything about you know Apostle Paul. They don't want to hear about that mess. They're just mm-hmm. they're only focused on the science. So when when I'm talking about science, I'm not talking about like I'm not trying to group them all into one thing and say they're all doing X. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to critique a a specific a, a specific genre of science that exists. That genre of if we can prove this thing to be true, then this is the gospel, like that Fauci sort of sort of science. That's what I'm, that's what I'm really trying to that's what I'm really trying to get at. But your question of, you know, well, how, how aren't they kind of doing the same exact thing? That's my point. We're all making value judgments. Mm. Only some are admitting that. That is what that's the fundamental distinction. You have to be able to admit that that you're making a value mm. judgment. So when a scientist says, oh, we have the scientific method, we, we have scientific evidence. It's like, mm. OK, so you have your evidence. I have my metaphysical evidence. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we can scientifically prove it. What is what is embedded in that statement? You're saying that your scientific evidence is more credible than mine because it's science. You're saying, well, because do you know um Gad Sad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he'll say, like he has a funny joke. He'll say, "Good bra, it's a good bra science." That's, mm-hmm. that's your argument. Like, yeah, you said that because well, I'm right because you know bra is science. You're mm-hmm. literally saying, okay, well, science is a better is a, it's a more credible methodology than what you're saying mm. so the second you make that argument i mean the second a scientist pr- pr- the second he has his, his data and he presents it to the world he's saying that this ought to be valued as soon as i say that i have scientific evidence that proves x even if i'm right even if you're you could be wrong even if i'm right the second you say that my that my evidence is worth is more credible than yours so that you can't empirically prove, you are placing, you are making a value judgment. Mm-hmm. The second you say that, you're stepping outside of science. Jay Dyer has a popular um, saying, so the scientific method cannot prove the scientific method. The second you say that this evidence is better, you're, you're placing an objective methodology above another one. The second you start placing things above others, well, now you're, you're making a value judgment now. Right, and you're saying that can't come from nowhere, is what you're saying. Yeah, it can't come from nowhere, and that's literally the title of the show. You're driving the off from the edge. You're saying, well, this is evidence because it is science, so therefore we should value this more. Mm-hmm. You're making that leap, and I think that we should be extremely careful about that leap because it's a dangerous leap, and that leap leads to, from what I've seen, nothing positive ever comes from that leap. Because what you're, what that person's really saying is, I want this to be, I want this to be true. It's a, it's an introverted, romantic, 
way of thinking about the world. And I'm not saying that there is no such thing as truth. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a, I hope I am a Christian. I don't know how to, I'll figure out when I die, <laughs> but I believe that there is an objective truth that everyone lives by that is, that exists outside of our language that exists mm. outside of our, our actions. I think, I think of truth as something that is something that's omnipresent. It's always there. It's always been there. It's something that we have to adapt ourselves to. It's not something that you can learn in like a academic paper. It's something that truth is the, in the truth and the logos that agape agape, that's, that's the Greek word of, of love, it's, it's, there's many different words of uh, versions of love, mm. but agape—that's the word that Rebecca uses a lot. Agape is the me wanting the best for you outside of my egocentrism. Mm. So I can love someone, like I can buy them flowers, I can uh, I like and like spending time with them, but when I miss them, I become sad. But when I'm with them, I become happy. Mm-hmm. That's a very low resolution version of love that agapic love would be that one mother who was in that was her her apartment was on fire and she was tossing her infants off of the of the off of the seventh floor and she died in there mm-hmm. that is a far deeper version of that. i mean i mean if she if she loved her infants so enough to throw them off of a seven story building I mean, if we're talking about love, mm-hmm. if, I, if I love someone else, you know, you wouldn't throw your wife off of a seven-story building if you didn't have to. Right. But that agapic love would be, well, if we're in a fire and I have the potential to save her, mm-hmm. despite what may happen if I toss her off the seventh building, it's better that she live on and I'm mm-hmm. going to sacrifice myself. That is that agapic. Mm-hmm. But I think that spirit should be held at the highest with truth and i think scientific exploration should be guided by that mm. scientific exploration should be guided by that agapic love for the sense of being so if you were to so if you were to if you're going to posit a hypothesis is that hypothesis serving you is it serving your party be conscious it's just it's just to be conscious of that if you were if you were not a group of, if you were not with your specific group, if you didn't believe the things you believed, mm-hmm. if you didn't like the things that you liked, would you still posit that same hypothesis? Mm. The probability of that is probably zero, but that doesn't matter. The whole idea is to just be conscious of that. Because if you, so if you're, if you're the opposite and you never ask yourself that question, where do you think you're going to end up? Mm. What, what are you saying to yourself? I don't deceive myself. Every question I ask, it's genuine. I never deceive myself. I'm not susceptible to self-deception. Mm. That's for the lesser folk. That's what that person's saying to themselves. That's what Hitler said to himself too. He said, if he was in charge, everything would be better. Or perhaps we hear it in the echoes of the young aspirational revolutionaries when they say something like, real Marxism or real communism has never yeah. been tried. It's the same thing. So I'm, I'm with you there. Okay. So it sounds to me like you're, you're, gar- you're, um, dimension that you would say that uh, if you were a granting body for scientific research, for example, right, yeah. take some material investment to do science, you would you would have a dimension for agapic love, whereas the left would say something like uh, we have a dimension for 
died, diversity, inclusion, equity. That is their, their God. Yeah. So, okay. So, but I just want to be clear because like, I'm, I'm trying to give them a fair shake. And I think you, yeah. the way are as well, you said, you know, they have a point, which is something like you are both critiquing what is a more Western liberal tradition of um, science abstracted away from the material, the extended material consequences and, and um, unexamined motivations that go into the science. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, again, I think that's an extreme view in that it's not very common, but it is interesting. And I suspect that there are going to be some people who listen to this who are not, who haven't been inculcated in the practice of science that that will very much appeal to. And I suspect there will be people who are inculcated in the practice of science who will think much like you just wrapped up with, which is like, no, I'm above that. Or like, I don't have to worry about that. And, and perhaps that's, uh, true, but I would I would argue that there is some that scientists do have an ethos, a responsibility to examine motivations. That's not to say that you should be cynical about it or, or make assumptions, but to examine motivations and to be seek to be at least not destructive or deconstructive, but yeah. to try and build things up, but at least not to break, you know, tear things down. To be fair, you know, to the person who may object mm-hmm. to, you know, that way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that critiquing me would be even reasonable because this is a age old, this is a, this, this, this process is an age old critique. And this is actually found in, in stoicism a lot. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading meditations, <clears throat> Marcus Aurelius said, you know, he was known for his abstinence. He said, sex is the sex is nothing but the body's, he said he said something like nothing sex is like sex is the friction of flesh and the trans and the transmission of fluids of bodily fluids mm-hmm. so when he said that he's not saying that that's all what sex is sure he was had an enlightened sense of he was able to separate the event from the purpose he was able to separate the the event what has actually happened to this from the purpose Something that I think I believe Clifford Gears talked about this as well. There's an agent arena relationship. So in the it's the same thing with the oak tree and the seed. Mm-hmm. So at the most fundamental level, yes, these are two human beings who are who are combining their bodies and who are who are sharing liquid. Mm-hmm. Like you need you need to be aware. That is what a scientist would be interested in. The scientists, their, their job is to examine those things. So what, what is going on? But also, that could be a this same process could be a a a mutual enjoining of two people who love each other, mm-hmm. preferably a man and a woman. That's kind of the only way two people join together who, who have an who have an affinity for each other, trying to make a baby, trying mm-hmm. to start a family. That all the, that whole that whole that whole stuff is not romantic. This on this what's going on down here, we're not imposing anything on that. I think when when Marcus Relis was was describing what that was, what sex was, he was he was using that as he wasn't saying that that oh this is all sex was, and he wasn't saying that this is this is what really what sex is is this, this magical loving event. I believe he was saying that. Don't you be confusing the event with the purpose. Mm-hmm. 
because these things are two different things. He just wants you to be aware of that. Mm. You know, when that actually, when they were in, they were fighting some country, it was maybe, um, I think it was what now would be considered probably, uh, I think it was Germany somewhere, uh, some country. They were fighting, they were in some battle, him and his brother, and they won. And so when his brother came returning back to uh, wherever they were at, just have Rome or whatever, they had this huge party. You know, the Romans got down, Michael, you know, and all the Romans <laughs> got down. Orgies everywhere. Marcus Aurelius was in his room reading a book while there is a orgy occurring mm-hmm. in, his, in, his, in his gigantic house. Yeah. So this shows you that. I mean, this shows you the level of even if even in the same ecosystem as like a gigantic orgy occurring, mm-hmm. I'm going to be in my room. I'm going to read this book. He, he was able to separate just because there's something just because there's something like that going on outside of my door doesn't mean I have to participate in it. I'm doing my thing because I'm that's what I'm valuing. He's not letting the outside stimuli mm-hmm. affect what he is doing inside of his head. And even if he did decide to put that book down and go have some fun, it was because he made that conscious decision to do so. Mm. He was extremely interested in perception guided perception if he was going to put that book down and go have some fun it was because he made that decision Mm -hmm. so if you're going to sacrifice that's a sacrifice i want to do this i'm going to put it aside because i want to go do something else so if you're going to make that decision even in that even in a case like that that's a value judgment it's a sacrifice well so it's just to be conscious of it yes it could be it could have been a mindless decision it could be because, you know, that book was boring, but just, just to be aware of it. So mm-hmm. next time when something else is going on, if you're in a house, if you're at your house, someone calls you out and say, hey, man, we're having some fun with the guys. You want to have a drink? It's, it's just to be consciously aware of that. Did I, did I go out because I feel entitled to please my friends? Mm-hmm. Did I go out because I'm not interested in this book? Like, why? Why? It right. like, goes back to that question of why. Why mm-hmm. did I do that? People like Marcus Rose, you know, he had his flaws, but I think that something that we can learn from the Stoics is that they they are they were obsessed they're obsessed with why. And I don't agree with everything with Stoicism. For instance, I don't think that we can. I don't think putting like the the agony and putting like the strength of everything is on is on us. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, everything's on me. Like in, enduring that pain It's like yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take everything. Like, we just physically just we 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 know now like more and more 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 modern thinkers just know now that. You, you can't, you just can't do those type of things unless you're like a, unless you have been inculcated. I mean, people just didn't just become stoic out of nowhere. They just doubted their, you know, they were, they were growing up in that school. They were wearing those robes. They were sleeping on the floor and they were being groomed mm-hmm. into stoic Greek life. They didn't just, it wasn't like some, some 35 year old guy who just, who just picked up this meditations and now he wants to be a stoic. Now it didn't happen like that. It was something that, you were you were groomed in this lifestyle. You were educated as a kid. It's something that clearly that you were that you were put in. Mm-hmm. So there's something. So I so I don't agree with you know Stoics to them um, all in a whole, but um something that we can learn from it is they were inst- extremely questioned about about why. Mm-hmm. There was another Stoic think who said something. I forgot who it was, but he said, "Don't listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Listen to what connects them together." Mm. So you can see it's this pat this this occurring pattern of the objects themselves versus the the story don't listen to the 
exact words coming out of my mouth. Listen to what connects them. Right. So you can either word chop and you know correct me and my grammar and correct, oh, if I didn't pronounce this word right or wrong, you can be that dick and do that. <laughs> or you can listen to what is this guy really trying to say? Mm-hmm. What's the telos of it? What's his point? You can see that pattern of separating and being conscious aware of the events versus their actuality. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I get these ideas from. I'm not the guy. I'm not the one who started being consciously aware of of the particular events versus their telos. I'm getting this. This is stuff that has been. The, 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 I'm standing on the on the on the shoulders of giants mm. when I present when I present these ideas. So I hope I'm doing something. Um, hope I'm drawing people back, and I'll always try to credit the people who I'm. And I'm always trying to credit the idea that Breaker, <laughs> Rosanos, or uh, Aurelius, or our freaking uh, Seneca, or whatever. I'm always mm. trying to credit where the ideas are coming. I'm not taking credit for any stuff. And no, you do a great job of citing your sources, man. It's, Thanks, it's, man. Commendable. Um, I don't want to be that guy who's like, "Oh, I'm, these are all my ideas." <laughs> like, well, it's not even yeah. not even necessarily that. It goes back to kind of your ethos, which is you want to examine why you think what you think, and you can't do that if you don't know where the ideas you have come from. And so, it's a natural second order effect of that examination would be that you have this uh, impulse to say, "Well, this is this is the intellectual." and moral or intellectual and ethical history from which I draw. That's totally fine. I do think your, your point about this, the Stoics being intentional um, is very good. And sorry, uh, not, not, not to, I'm not talking to cut you off or make a, yeah. like a political argument, but when, I, when, I, when Aurelius said, when that comment about sex, I mean, hmm? what does that sound like? Someone's saying, oh, sex is just, you know, the, the transmission of body fluids. What argument does that sound like? I mean, there's a bunch of arguments you can make. There's something that's been popularized. Something that's been more current is, you know, the whole pro-choice, pro-life debate. Mm -hmm. The whole debate about, you know, what is a fetus? Right. Now, Aristotle, the more classical version of that, that wouldn't even be that. That wouldn't be the question. Right, right, right. (laughs) That is the problem here. We wouldn't be asking what that is. Because that embryo in you... To separate those things is the error. Mm-hmm. Right. That is error. Well, there's many errors in that debate, yeah. but that is a, that is certainly one of them. I would encourage people, because um, we don't have to, you know, adjudicate the entire history of pro-choice versus pro-life. Yeah. Though it's though it's an interesting ar- argument, and I'd be happy to to delve into it. I'd encourage people to check out. You're familiar with Michael Knowles? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Knowles. Okay, so he has a debate with someone who's a medical school third year. <laughs> You know what I'm talking I lost, about. I lost it. I lost it. If you can, you know, bite down your mouthpiece and get through that two-hour conversation, it is a testament to. I, I called it. Uh, Michael Knowles had the courtesy to allow his debate partner to self-immolate. Yeah, it is quite impressive. Michael Knowles is very smart. Uh, he is. Yeah, he's very, very. I think he's the smartest on the Daily Wire group. I think he's smarter than Ben. He he's. Uh, I think they have a particular just difference in their training. I think that manifests very strongly, but it's it's interesting nonetheless. And he. My one of my goals is to convince Michael Knowles he's wrong about statistics, but that's because I have a data science and analytics background. Separate issue. Oh, what what is what did he say about? Oh, he said oh. I think he had a video. He said science was fake or something. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but he said science is fake, and I know what the point he's trying to make. He's just making it hyperbolically because it's good for the online clicks and all that kind of stuff. But, but yeah. he says something that um, you know, 
state and statistics share the same root word and essentially is making the point that the state or malevolent forces will always find some rationale from which they can draw some smidgen of empirical evidence to support and therefore we don't have to take statistics seriously but as far as i'm concerned that's the same postmodern argument it's like oh well there's always something that we could use to deconstruct or re-examine things in yeah. a way that makes it look and and you, you pointed out one of the flaws there which is that yeah well we can't actually conceive of this infinite countably infinite number of possibilities that's one the other one is that just because they're possibilities doesn't mean that they all have the same um fruit that they bring to bear in the world and so yeah. and um, that is the answer right right and so uh, so i would encourage people to, to watch that debate you'll get to see a lot of the ideas that kyle and i are kind of talking to and dancing around as it plays out between people who have this training or a person who has this training and someone who doesn't even in my opinion doesn't even do a good job defending her position on the scientific merits alone um, that will play, except for one area, she's a little bit better, but that's an area where she happens to agree with you. said the word unequivocally, I think, I think like 30 times. Yeah. yeah. I said she kept saying that word. I was like, she, she really likes that word, unequivocally. Yeah. Yeah, that was really funny. Yeah, it's not really a, like, a way to support your argument is not to say that, well, my profession is circumscribed that I'm correct, or yeah. you haven't taken a class on this, so you don't know. Um now, that might be the case. It would be good if the classes we had were providing particular training, but that's not necessarily sure. the case. Saying my knowledge and your wisdom don't overlap. Mm -hmm. this, this, is a, this is a separate thing in and of itself, and there's no overlap. Right. Yep. We've knocked out pretty much everything I have on here. I have two questions for you if you have time, Kyle. Is that right? All right. I didn't realize how dark it was getting on. <laughs> yeah, no worries. All right. First question, and these are both going to be to push back. I want to see kind of like, Cool. The extent of where you're thinking on this and uh, to the extent I agree or disagree is not the point, uh, but I'm happy to opine if so desired. So uh, I appreciate what you're saying about having the uh, asking the wrong question when I posed the last one to you about <clears throat> social sciences and the postmodern critique as well as your critique, which is something like, no, 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 there has to be a moral standard against which we're uh, agreeing to undergo this scientific process that we decide on a priori. And your extra point on top of that is it should be examined. We should yeah. be conscious of it. Okay, fair enough. But what I didn't hear was something that says, because you said, you know, you kind of think of science as just another thing, the, the Zizak thing, things happen. Um, yeah. You think of science as it's just another way of investigating. So here's my question to you. Are there types of questions for which you would say that the scientific method of inquiry is the appropriate method to bring to bear. Yes, of, of course. I think okay. that, you know, if you're a person who is in like the second stage of, or, or the third stage of cancer, mm -hmm. and you're trying to eradicate that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't send you to a priest. You should be going to the hospital consulting a, a professional. Mm -hmm. You should be getting that scientific treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, hopefully, whatever whatever treatment is available, or, or let me make this uh, even worse. Perhaps you're struggling with your identity as a person. Okay. You know, maybe you're having feelings. I'm not saying you, but maybe you're having, you know, you're struggling with who you are as a person. Now, I'm not clinically trained in anything, so we so perhaps you should seek professional help. Now, here's where things get tricky. Mm -hmm. Now, that professional help should be in, has to be inculcated 
in that agape spirit. Because if you were to approach a doctor or a, or a psychologist and you would say, I, I, you know, doc, I think I'm a woman. Now, a couple of years ago, scientifically, they would have told you, Michael, what in the hell are you smoking? You need to, you, you, there's something wrong here and we're going to find out what's wrong. Bef now, now, before you even got the word woman out of your mouth, you would have had a bevy of drugs to take and they already would have scheduled your transition surgery. So this is what we should be really be focusing on. What domain is the, so if you're going to, so sometimes science is a proper answer. So if you are actually experiencing those symptoms of gender dysphoria, then you should go to someone who knows more about that. Mm -hmm. So don't go to me. Don't go to your parents. Don't go to, don't go to someone who knows about that kind of stuff. So there are some instances where that can actually be the case. Now, the thing is, it's not all, it's not, it's not just a one, uh, a be all end all. So I'm telling you that because you're a grown adult. Now, if you're a seven, it changes. You shouldn't actually, you shouldn't value the person in the white coat over your parents. Mm. The first person you should go to is your parents if you're experiencing that as a, as a child. Because before number one, you can't consent. You don't have a prefrontal cortex. You're dumb. You don't know anything. So you need to go to your doctors, your first doctor, which is your mom and dad. You need to go to them. Because like, you shouldn't be valuing the chemistry book over what your parents are saying at the age of mm. seven or even the age of 13. I mean, you're still an adolescent child. There's different tiers there because your dad and mom are valuing what they know, are valuing knowledge, are valuing what's above them. Maybe their parents, maybe they sign, maybe science, maybe philosophy, or whatever. There's, there's tiers there, and hopefully, the people who are who are guiding, who are guided by science, hopefully, there's something above them. Mm -hmm. If there is something above them, they're following some type of transcendent value. Could be religion, could be God, they could be a Satanist, it could be atheist. Who knows? There's something above what they're doing. So if I'm a, so if I'm a, so I'm a scientist and I have a, someone come to me with rapid onset gender dysphoria and they don't know what to do, if I happen to want, if I'm a, if I'm a advocate of that kind of stuff, it's in my self interest to tell you that oh yeah, that this is, this is like yeah this this is my chance to mm -hmm. to to parrot all the relevant buzzwords so i can look cool to my co-workers so i can have this patient so i can do this so i can so i can so i can engage in this thing so there is certain instances where science is a proper answer when you're developing when you have a science when you have a psychological a psychological disease or when you've been diagnosed with, with a with like something hard like cancer or something hard like whatever some type of disease or whatever but a certain every if you, if you have a you're in a car accident you just lost a leg. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not. We're not gonna send you to the uh, the guidance counselor. You should go get <laughs> to a medical attention. Mm -hmm. So yes, there should there are certain instances where science should take so should 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 come to the rescue. Mm -hmm. But there's a there's a there's but there's something obviously where we're gonna be redundant here. There's stuff that's there's something that should be guided mm -hmm. by that help. Are they trying to help you because they? Are trying you they want you to be a statistic or they are they actually care mm -hmm. you know in 2020 hospitals were doing something that cdc was following a protocol called postpartum it was, it was called postpartum post postmortem studies or some some sort of policy called postmortem 
And what they were doing was the bodies that died, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard about this, dead bodies that, mm-hmm. who, who are, suffered a car accident or someone who killed themselves or someone who got shot, someone who was murdered. If they found the pathogen, if you found the COVID virus in those bodies, mm-hmm. that was being recorded as a COVID death. Yeah. So there's always there's always a it's the snake in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. There's always something there. There's always that deception, that that possibility for deception. I'm not gonna go on all that because we talked mm-hmm. about that enough. But that that's the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. So yes, science should science has its purpose. Mm-hmm. So I think the left has its purpose. I don't worry about what the needy family. I mean, it sounds bad, but I'm not all worried about you know needy families or, or worrying about what you know what gay people are going through day to day. I'm not really worried about you know uh, trash on the street like as much as someone like on the left is. I'm not really worrying about you know a cop not being as nice as they should be. I mean, thank God we have some people who are posting those videos of you know mm-hmm. some dude of some guy who's literally innocent so i mean thank god we have somebody who's who's mad about that sure because i'm telling you right now i'm not right i don't i don't i'm not spending my time checking to see if every police officer is doing their due diligence i'm not checking that but mm-hmm. thank god there's someone is doing that mm-hmm. they, they have their everyone has their their role to play yeah yeah but it's all the, it, it, it's about the uh, I hate this word about the nuance. I mean, it's about they're they're playing their role. They got to yeah. play their role. Sure. Well, I think that uh, I agree with you that nuance is a totally overused word. But I think where you use it there is is actually appropriate because there's the nuance of each person has, as you mentioned earlier, a subset of things that orientate them in the world and things that they're focused on. You can't say I care about all solving all of the world's problems equally and maximally because that means I mean, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but there is also nuances in terms of how do we, as a society, say, prioritize these things? And does the priority of these things change over time? And and then not only how do we prioritize them, but then how do we go about solving them and what trade-offs are we considering there? So those are all super complicated. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, there's a role for people that disagree with you, who have a different yeah. perspective and a different set of priorities. Why do you think uh, truth social and, and, and uh, what was that other one? Mastodon. Uh, I- uh, uh, what was it? Mastodon, the left-leaning one. Yeah, no, no, it was uh, it was it was start with a P. It was um. Oh, Parler. Parler, yeah. Why do you think those apps just? I mean, we say that you know, you know, these left, you know, we gotta do something about these people. You know, we, we it's like a love hate relationship. Like <laughs> you don't want to be in like some gigantic echo chamber where everyone just thinks the same exact thing. Everyone says the same no, thing. No. That just we don't want that. No, no, no. I agree. I think there are some people who should have the ability to turn off the the vitriol on social media if that's what they prefer. Yeah. But but no, most of the times people want to run into actual interesting ideas, and interesting ideas are ones that are not. I mean obvious. that is, that's what na- that is a virtual nationalism. Mm. They made their own world right. of everyone who values the same thing and does the same stuff. They made that's what alt right nationalism is. That's what Parler was. So I, I'm not familiar enough with Parler to know whether, I mean, we have one as Freedomcast because we have every yeah. social media, but. It was a conservative social media platform. Yeah. Well, is there a, is there a difference in your mind between conservative and alt-right nationalism? I think, yes. So, 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 so the alt-right nationalists would say that 
wokeism and leftism has no space mm. and they need to i mean there are people who are arguing for the sedition of states for mm. to go off in his own thing it's like this is insane yeah. so that so that's not conservative i don't think that is because mm. i don't think the founding fathers would ever say anything like that mm. about you know the country pulling apart and deviating and doing all i don't think that mm. that's this is out of the question but i think conservatives where they differ is they're saying that our values matter and we should you know, we should hold on to the constitution and we should be weary of change or not all change is good right and the alt-right would say we need it we need to destroy these libs and get rid of them because they're they're harming our society mm-hmm. and that's right. why i mean i was just having this conversation with the um with the person before you i i'm more classically liberal because i'm open i mean just temperamentally just speaking like purely right. like that type of way so i i care too much about what people say to be a conservative mm-hmm. and i don't think that and I, and I think appealing to a constitution in a way is almost a fallacy because i mean it was written in there i mean there was a law that said you know you could you could own me so it's like are you saying that you know right. the constitution and the laws was the written word is the be all end all or is it the transcendental spirit that should that that stands above that because then it didn't say you know our government given rights that shouldn't that our government enabled rights that shouldn't that should not be you know right. trying to said our god given rights so uh, i mean they and even though there's a description that oh they weren't they well they weren't really well, you know, whatever. And even that is just an argument. I mean, mm-hmm. were they? I mean, who knows? And some people say that they were, I think, like, deists or something. Some people say that they didn't really. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not educated. The point that. is that it, it government isn't the source of your rights. They're natural yeah, rights. Yeah, like, it's the government. Is not, I mean, they, don't, they don't tell me what is truth or not. Like, that, it's, a, it's a transcendental thing that tells me what truth is. Yeah. The government's just, they're the middle people. <laughs> there you go. Um there to to uh, adjudicate right order something like that or ordered liberty okay so we've touched on pretty much everything last thing here um so you, you mentioned several things that i i disagree and agree with throughout uh one thing that i want to touch on is people who listen to this who are not from a background similar to yours or similar to mine what they might hear is they might hear some things that they say like oh michael said x or kyle said x I want people to consider things and appreciate the distinction between the universal and the general. Yeah. The universal is something like unmoving as if law, essentially as if a law of the universe general is something that tends to hold. It's not even necessarily a prescription. It just says this is typically the case. Um, And so uh, I think people will do very well on all sides. Actually, I see this would be a good piece of advice. When someone says something you disagree with, Appreciate that they might not be speaking universally, but speaking generally. Um, the stuff with COVID and the, the postmortem studies, that, yeah, that I am with you, man. Like those uh, miscount or not miscountings, that methodology for counting seems totally bunk. Yeah. Um, and there was a whole bunch of like political reasons maybe that was happening. I don't know how widespread it was either. I know that it was at least happening to a few hospitals that were funded by the federal government, but yeah, regardless, shouldn't have happened probably or, or should have done separate accounting. You know, you could always have multiple ways to calculate a number and uh, do some sensitivity analyses based on which operationalization you go through. But last question. So we talked about some daily wire guys earlier. I think you and I overlap a little bit in terms of uh, our temperament um, and maybe even a little in our political philosophy, though. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll find out as we continue on in this life, but 
we talked about uh, Michael Knowles in that particular debate, but I want to talk about one of the founders, Ben Shapiro, who you mentioned as one of the first IDW guys you'd come across. He and Jordan Peterson, Gad Sad of that same stripe, all that kind of stuff. And there's there's lefties in there. Uh, Heather Hying, Ion Hersey-Ali, uh, Brett and Eric Weinstein. Um, so with Ben, he has what's probably the most famous phrase associated with Ben. Facts don't care about your feelings, right? And you mentioned your friend Nicole earlier, who had done a, a what you thought was like kind of like a poetic job of showing you, hey, are you just doing uh, what you were doing before, but with the opposite yeah. ideological camp? I thought that was a really like elegant way for her to kind of manifest that in a way that wasn't, you know, it's disarming, but it's direct. Um, so here's my question for you. You said a couple of things, and I'm, I'm not making a value judgment about these. I'm going to ask you about them. You've said things like uh, you talk about the act of sex between being between a man and a woman. And I know what you're talking about with the, separating the tila, the telos versus that just that material act itself. But you talk about uh, ideally, I think you said something like ideally between a man and a woman. You said something like early on, like uh, ripping the penises off uh, young boys, which I know what you're talking about there too. That's the surgical intervention of gender affirming care for people who can't actually give medical consent. I, I'm with, I, I understand where you're going there. Here's my question. I could see someone like Ben Shapiro saying there's nothing wrong with that because that's a factual articulation of what's going on. And I also can logically build my case for why I'm saying that and, and whatever the surrounding conversations. My question to you is something that I, I hope is somewhat in the spirit of Nicole, which is facts don't care about your feelings, but does Kyle? And if Kyle does, how do you go about determining how you say things and in, and uh, in what context you do so? That's a great that's a great question, and I think I have a reasonable answer for it. Okay. So, an idea that I would that was presented to me, I think it was about two years ago, was the concept of um, philia nafia philia nikia versus philia sophia. Okay. And philia sophia is the, so the word philia is to love, sophia is to, uh, philia sophia is, philia is the philosophy, sophia is the love of. So it's the, that Latin phrase to love wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the philia nikia, nikia would be the, the goddess of victory winning. Mm. That would be that mode, the love, the love of winning. Mm. And something that I've been hyper conscious of mm. is when I'm engaging in a in the act or while I'm saying something or from having a conversation with someone is you know am I which mode am I being in? Mm. My is this finally Sophia nature? Am I are we, are we in the dialogos or are we engaging in the pathos? Are we engaging in a in a anti-social, introverted, instrumental word? battle or mm. so that's something i'm always hyper conscious of like, which one am i i i pray i hope i'm in the five symphony of nature and, I, and i'll end it with this and i also think this is this is perhaps the greatest quote of all time yeah is by plato and this quote changed my life he said why you probably know he said wise man speaks when he has something to say <laughs> fools speak when they have to say something Mm. And that is 
that is like that is like my gospel right there like and and, and I've tweeted that a lot I've I've told that to other um content creators like me like there's there's <clears throat> there's someone I follow who uh, you know she has great content but I'm like you ever ask yourself do you think that when you tweet or when you make these videos do you think do, do you do did you have something to say about this or did you have to make a comment on that mm. and these are two different modes and, that, and the reason why that quote stuck with me is because it's like there's something am i the master of my body am i just going to say this because you know i just had to make it re- i just am i reacting or am i am i acting on my on my values mm-hmm. so i'm always consciously aware of you know am i doing am i, am I merely just reacting mm-hmm. or if I, or or am i making a a conscious decision on what I'm doing, and that that and, and everyone should be asking themselves that. That I have to say that to her. Mm. That I that I have to act that way, mm. or did I have something to say, or did do I have to do I do I have to do this? Mm-hmm. So um, I hope that answered the question. It answered half of it. Just very quickly to clean up the other half. You you answered the part about kind of discerning when you want to say something or when you want to behave in a certain way. Yeah. You mentioned that you're trying to be, you try to have a very particular type uh, rationale for engaging or for saying something. Now, my next question is this goes back to the facts, care about your feelings, but does Kyle care about your feelings? So let's say you have something to say. Yeah. Right? So you've determined, okay, we're in this philosophia frame. I've got, I know I being silent is not an option. You've determined that. Now there's the, there are those who would say, okay, say what you need to say, say it forthrightly, no problem. And there's those who would also say, okay, be careful how you say what you need to say. Yeah. Which of those camps do you fall in? I think I would, I would probably fall under both, a combination okay. of both. I'm very trying to be cognizant of how mm-hmm. I say something versus what is said. You know, um, I had that uh, that stoic quote. I need to see who said that. You know, don't listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Listen to what ties them together. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that quote encapsulates. I mean, that's pretty much my answer right there. You know, um, facts have their roles, mm-hmm. and I think what is what is what what lies underneath the facts is. I mean, is the values. I mean, that's really what the whole title of this of this thing is called. It's like. And I know Ben has a you know facts don't get about your feelings, but then when we get into subjects of like metaphysics and like uh, morality and stuff, and then that's when all the hyper atheists can come and say, well, okay, well this fact says this, but oh, what you're now you're now it looks like you're backtracking on on your on your mantra. But what what now? What now, Ben? We got you. And you know that, and they're actually right. Like facts don't care about your feelings, mm-hmm. but he's not. He never said that. It's not a zero sum game. He never said that one was more one was more valuable than the other. He just said that facts are exist in a domain that are outside of our feelings. Mm-hmm. And feelings exist in a domain that are outside of the facts. He never said that one was worth more or we should pay attention to one mm-hmm. more than the other. And something that and, and this is also why I'm not conservative, because Sometimes people will take that that ethos of facts. I don't care about your feelings. Oh, I don't want to hear it. Well, that's the facts. It's like, 
well, if that if that's what we're gonna go by, mm-hmm. then like so what so what is your where's your argument for morality then? Mm-hmm. Like if you're if we're if we're just gonna if we're just gonna if we're gonna hyper focus on knowledge, knowing if we're gonna if you're gonna place that at the highest, then what what is what is your arguments against totalitarian regimes that place science at the at the top of their pyramid? Sure. That at least the, the place, that place knowing that knowing that no, uh, well, we're, uh, what you're, you're what, what not? Mm-hmm. It's the same argument with, you know, adhering to the constitution or right? adhering to what, what another piece of paper, mm-hmm. even adhering to the Bible, you know, like I, I mean, when people, some, I mean, you'll see some people argue, make like, literally use the Bible to make their points with every single thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, in John uh, 3.16, this said this. Okay, well, in the book of Romans, it said that. It's like, you have to just be aware that you're that you're doing that. You have to, mm-hmm. I mean, like a poster, if we can just make like one like sentence or one thing to wrap up this whole entire conversation, it's just, just to be aware, just mm-hmm. pay attention. That's what, um, that's what Oris's eye was. It was the, that, I, I believe that's why that was at the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you deconstruct that symbol, there was a structure, there was a pyramid there, but Oris's eye. So the reason why that why that eye was plucked out is because he was he was a fallen. He was he was he represented this is a written in um maps of meeting. Well, he didn't write the story, but you know what I mean. This is I, yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> yeah. So what Oris Oris he he represented that 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 fallen that fallen state you know, the king that's you know it's kind of washed up. And it needs to be something that, you know you're you're just not as powerful as you could be, and that that eye, and when 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 Osiris res- rescued that, and that eye is placed above the pyramid, mm-hmm. it means that here is our structure. It could be economy, it could be our philosophy, it could be our rules, it could be our constitution, mm-hmm. it could be our country, our rights. This is our structure, and but the eye is above the pyramid. Why is it above? It's not part of it. It's above it. It's above it because the pyramid has is is guided. There's something outside of the system that the system is abiding by. So there is no so the system is hierarchically organized, but it's organized in a way that is serving a value that's outside of the system itself. Systems that don't do that that do away with and the i means to pay attention all that i means is mm-hmm. beware are you being truthful did you really mean that could you handle that situation better that's the i represents just pay attention even if you won't always have the answer you're not always going to know if you did that thing right but it just means just pay attention mm-hmm. to how you're conducting yourself that ethic is outside of the pyramid in systems that do away with that with that eye, but it, it basically means like it just means constant. It's a it literally it's a it's a Latin phrase that translates to constant introspection. Mm. It's like it's investigating, always paying attention. You know, we may have this thing now, but it could be better. What's going on? What, is everything functioning properly? We don't want to be too far to the right where we're just conserving everything, and we don't want any change. Because that's how you get it. That's how you get the tyrant. And you don't want to be to the point where everything's just changing because that's how the pyramid falls apart. So the eye represents just paying attention. Mm. 
are you paying attention to the fact that kids are now killing themselves at a significantly higher rate than they were? Are you paying attention to that despite your system that tells you that this methodology is the quote unquote best methodology methodology to use mm-hmm. in this particular instance. Are you paying attention to the fact that people that were now on our cell phones more than rationally speaking, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to when you're at this pride parade, how many people you're lusting over beside of me? Even if you do go there with your significant other, are you paying attention to what's actually going on. Are you paying attention to the meta issue? Mm-hmm. Well, no, we're just at the parade. Well, no, I'm just doing my thing in and of itself. Well, no, this is just my thing. This is my mm-hmm. thing. And there is no purpose. We're just doing it for its own sake. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're going to, I mean, this is a common theme that we've been talking about this whole entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that are existing in and of themselves. Go ahead. You have your thing. You have, you, go ahead, do your thing. Don't pay attention to how it can consume your entire life mm-hmm. yeah i mean you you mentioned the pride parade we could use a, a heterosexual example in the uh you know just a guy and his friends going to hooters and they're all married what do you you think that's just you going for a meal are you certain about that yeah so i'm with you man okay well this was excellent kyle i do want to plug one book maybe um and i'm going to ask you to plug everything that you want to plug i want to uh if you have not already because you're a vociferous reader as far as i can tell uh, Nassim T- Nicholas Taleb, he's the guy who popularized the black swan. He's a former Wall Street quant and empirical philosopher, I would say. Uh, a book series called The Incerto. It's a five book series. And the first book is called Fooled by Randomness. And I think that it's a bit different in flavor to what so, to a lot of what you draw on, but it, it also has embedded in it a lot of the same critiques of like this hyper-rationalistic um, we know more than we think we know, uh, or we think we know more than we know, rather, type of worldview. And he comes again, he comes from Wall Street quants, and he's a very big statistician type guy, but he also has this empirical philosophy. I think that book would be interesting, cool. if nothing else, because I think you guys would share some of the same critiques. And he also has the same notion that I think you, you've advocated a couple times here, which is um, there can be embedded wisdom inherited through the ages or through experience. That doesn't have to be rationally explained in some sort of material scientific process in order for it to be true, or at least for it to yeah. be effective. Not um, only does it not have to be, it can. That's interesting. I think I just unlocked like another hour. We'll do this again for sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll pick up with that thing you want to plug um, before we adjourn. Um, I don't have any like uh, New York bestsellers to, uh, <laughs> to, um, encourage anyone to go read we'll take a we'll take a i feel as if we were slightly being a dead horse i encourage anyone who to to read it's hard it's a hard book uh carl jung's psychological types this was a book that he published in the 20th century i believe it was like 19 somewhere in the 1930s um i think 1938 could be wrong about that mm-hmm. maybe the translation was uh night translation it was 19 19- something and then it was translated in 1921 and that's what was translated in English when it started spreading or whatever in this book psychological tights Ricardo was a person I don't know if anyone listening to this or not but he was the one who derived the words introverted and extroverted he was the one who created that kind of model of viewing um different people 
and I'm posted. I've, I've been talking about introverts and extroverts for like a year now. I, I I'm starting to like I want to specialize in that. I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, I'm really really interested in that. We didn't talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. That, that's a good thing because I probably would have talked about it for the entire time. But I I believe that this is if I haven't said enough like radical things on this podcast yet. Here's one here. I'm just gonna add the cherry on top. I think that a lot of people got that wrong, what introverts and extroverts were. Mm. I'm not saying that I have the right interpretation. A lot, I think, from what I've seen, but people from the colloquial sense, how people just averagely use those two words mm-hmm. is not right. Mm. I think people should read psychological types. But it, even, even if it's a hard book, I'm just going to be straight up. It's a, it's a, it's, I mean, it's not hard, but it just requires your attention like anything else. It's, I was watching one of my friends a couple of years ago play Fortnite. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't play video games. There's nothing wrong with video games at all. But um, there was like all these screens and all these like freaking like gyms and like numbers. I'm like, yo, how are you? <laughs> how are you like focusing on all this stuff? So right. if people can do that. They can sit down for a couple of minutes and just read right black words on a white page they can do that if you can focus on all this stuff on the screen and use a thing and you like that's that requires so much more like mm-hmm. resources like cognitively than just reading a book it's like <laughs> it's so cool but anyway introverts and extroverts are very interesting and number one so i'm just gonna end with this we'll be trying to go kind of fast with this sure so i could be wrong i'm always trying to say that I could be wrong but from what i've read Carl Jung never said, never made a social point about mm. introverts and extroverts. The, 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 the level of analysis on introverts and extroverts is the cognitive analysis, versus, meaning how they acquire information, mm-hmm. how they disseminate information, mm. not their personality. People, mm. they've conflated the big five with introverts and extroverts, and that's wrong. Mm. Introverts and extroversion is deeper. And that's about their, it's, it's about, I I kept using the word introverted throughout the conversation. It probably threw you off when I was saying introverted uh, romanticism. Mm-hmm. That is what introversion is. Introverts bind themselves to objects and have romantic attachment to them. Mm-hmm. Introverts feel, they feel, they, they perceive the world by thinking. So the, so thinking is related to fantasy, related to, related to aspiring, thinking, aspiring. Oh, well, what is this? What could it be? How can I use this thing? Hmm, what is it? Exactly. The, like your hand on the chin, exactly what you're doing right now. What is mm-hmm. this thing? That is an introverted cognition. And that is why introverts are shy because they require a romantic attachment to an mm-hmm. object, a person, idea before they have that more everyday uh, situation. Extrovert is complete opposite. They are, they abstract from the object. So they just need something mm-hmm. to talk to. So people think that you know, they're not just talking your head off because they're interested in what you have to say. The mm. introvert is interested about you. They just need something. They mm. abstract from the object. They say, oh, how can I get this another way? How can they, they're, they're, they're guided by pattern recognition. They're, they don't care if they're not romantic about the objects. So that's the difference. So I'm just going to, that's a little teaser there. But okay. he never made social points about being like, and like, that's why they like to talk. Because mm. after I talk your head off and you nod your head a few times and you show like you're not interested in talking to me anymore, I'm going to say, okay, Mike, we'll see you. And then I'm going to go talk <laughs> some stuff head off. Mm. That drives that social interaction. But psychological types, highly recommend you read it. And it's hard. But 
Okay. Psychological ties. Carl Young. All right, Kyle. Everyone, make sure you check out Well-Rounded Fool, the lecture series on YouTube. And uh, until next time. Stay honest, stay rigorous, and keep speaking freely. From Ms. Todd is a FreedomCast Network production. To find out more about the network, check out freedomcast.us or freedomcast.locals.com. Thank you.